0: You are listening to When Policy Meets Practice from JFF, where we delve into the practical realities of education and workforce development policy with practitioners on JFF's Policy Leadership Trust.
1: Hello, and thanks for tuning into this new episode of When Policy Meets Practice from JFF. I'm Paul Fain, a journalist and the host of this podcast series. To start off the new year, we're talking about career and technical education pathways. The nation faces an urgent need to help more students stay on track amid unprecedented pandemic-driven challenges. Millions of students have become disengaged from school and may be struggling with mental health problems. Many high school graduates are opting out of college while overall enrollments continue to slide, particularly at community colleges. Meanwhile, businesses are struggling to hire and retain workers amid the most unusual job market in modern history. I spoke with four experts to get a sense of what's working with career and technical education, what isn't, and how policies at the state and federal level can help move the needle. Joining me was Shannon Cox, superintendent of the Montgomery County Educational Service Center in Southwestern Ohio. Also Michael Bastin, president of Rockland Community College in New York and Luke Ryan, Director of Career and Technical Education and STEM Initiatives for the Delaware Department of Education, and finally, Carly Schiffner, Deputy Executive Director of Education for the Washington State Board for Community and Technical Colleges. In addition, I spoke with two experts from JFF to help us make sense of what we heard in the interviews. Charlotte Cahill is Senior Director of JFF's Pathways to Prosperity, which focuses on college and career pathway systems at both the state and regional levels. Joining Charlotte in the sense-making segment was Crystal Green, a policy manager at JFF who works on federal and state policy initiatives. First, however, let's hear a bit from Shannon Cox about the fundamental questions students need help answering in their education and their journey toward a career.
2: And that's what we really try to focus on here in Montgomery County ESC is that future self-vision. Can students envision themselves in the future and not just answer the question what do you want to be when you grow up but really what quality of life do you want to have when you grow up where do you see yourself participating where is your community circles what kind of quality of house do you want to live in what does the neighborhood look like how many kids do you want to have partner no partner spouse no spouse and really think about what it is where the aptitude meets interest and allows a person, a human being, to be a thriving member of their community.
1: And now I'll turn quickly to President Baston to lay out the stakes this year and the need for higher education to work together with K-12 and employers on career pathways.
3: It is about intentionality. In 2022, If we are going to be successful, it is because we were intentional about partnering, intentional about collaboration, intentional about making sure that the path is clear and the opportunities are present and we meet the realities of the moment. Okay, let's get to the interviews. We'll start with Shannon Cox.
1: I'm speaking with Shannon Cox in the early days of 2022. How are you doing, Shannon?
2: I'm well. How are you?
1: Doing well. So looking forward, obviously a lot going on everywhere. A lot of questions about college or work. It's a question that's been rattling around for a while. Is college worth it, et cetera. Can you give me a sense of your philosophy and and how you look at that kind of dichotomy?
2: The first thing we typically like to unwrap is the word or, I'm not really sure why it has to be a question of work or college. It really shouldn't be a binary system. It's either this or that. It really should be if you are going to college, what are you going to college for? What is the purpose? What is the work beyond college? And then how do we get you there appropriately so that it makes sense when you're going to the right college with the right kind of tuition and costs associated to what your future self, your future career is going to recoup or reclaim in the work portion of your life. So we we really start with, it's not a question of the or, it's a question of the for. What are you going for? And if you go straight into the workforce, there still needs to be some sort of training or credentialing that happens that allows you to have a career progression that again, takes you into a place in life where you have a sustainable living wage income that supports your future self-vision. And that's what we really try to focus on here in Montgomery County ESC is that future self-vision. Can students envision themselves in the future and not just answer the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? But really, what quality of life do you want to have when you grow up? Where do you see yourself participating? Where is your community circles? What kind of quality of house do you want to live in? What does the neighborhood look like? How many kids do you want to have? partner, no partner, spouse, no spouse, and really think about what it is where the aptitude meets interest and allows a person, a human being, to be a thriving member of their community. So it's a question of the for, not the or.
1: Really well said. I feel like in my reporting in the crisis, that lack of asking the big questions of who are you, who do you want to be, is a common theme. We don't do enough of that in society, but I know to do that right, you've got to start early, can you talk about hourly and and how do you kind of knit this throughout a student's journey?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we became keenly aware of, and once you see it, you can't unsee it, is that if we start working in the CTE space in the junior and senior year of a traditional high school, we really have, have missed the boat. And again, in the 20th century, we probably could answer the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because we could kind of look beyond the schoolhouse doors and see exactly what lie ahead. And when we got to the end point, that destination of the high school diploma, those jobs actually were still there. And that's just not the way the world operates in the 21st century. So we realized we're going to have to do a heavy lift and backfill some opportunity and awareness and engagement and exploration for some of our youngest learners. And and we know the research will tell us and, and just the anecdotal records will show that most young people associate the careers to the careers with which they know, they already know that. So they're either a uniformed career, a career that wears a hat, or um, it's something that they can kind of see on their block, whether it's in their home or in their parents or guardians circle of social influence. Those are the jobs that kids know can happen. So I often say if it doesn't happen on their block, they often don't know that it can happen. So we have to do a better job of really connecting those career opportunities at a very young age. And then I think we've done a really poor job in our K-12 system at telling kids, actually, I think we've lied to them for generations, that you can actually be anything you want to be when you grow up. That's actually just not a true statement. We also don't believe in dream squelching. So what we have chosen to embrace is wrapping around the student in that upper elementary school, middle school time period and providing them the infrastructure those exploration and tools like an aptitude and interest survey that allows them to really see I'm interested in this, but I'm really good at this. And where can the two meet? And then providing opportunities to let them explore and try that out. We don't want college to be a very expensive career exploration. So it's really important that we provide a system of CTE experiences that are outside of just the junior and senior year of that traditional high school experience.
1: I really like the pragmatism of of your approach here. Obviously, employers are struggling with hires and quits. We're in the middle of the great resignation. Can you talk a little bit about how employers are doing more to to work with k twelve in this space?
2: Yes, so here in our region, what we've really put focus on when when working with employers and and asking them to partner with us is again, unwrapping that word partnership. What does that mean? Back in the day, so to speak, A company would hand a check to a school district, they would get a square on a scoreboard at the football field with their company logo or name on it, and it was called a partnership. And while that might still be needed and might be nice, it's really not what we need. We need experiences. We need near peers in in in-demand industries to come into schools, not just on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving during the career fair, and have really good conversations and build relationships with students to let, again, let them know what's not on their block that actually can happen. And how did they get into that particular field? What was their career progression like? Um, Anyone that we work with, we, we encourage them. Tell your career story. Tell the students what worked, what didn't work. Make sure that they understand that there are many journeys that people take We didn't all wake up in third grade and say, oh, I want to be a teacher. As a matter of fact, I didn't. I was going to be the first female fighter pilot for the United States Air Force. That clearly did not happen. But because I had that future self-vision, I had a journey that I was set on, and it allowed me to have opportunities that I didn't really know that I could have. So we really encourage employers to dig into their employee bench, if you will, and pull those people off the bench and allow them to go into schools, work with students, have conversations, and then vice versa, bring students into the environment. And again, we always have to navigate, you know, who can see what when it's a defense contract or what age does a student have to be to be able to be in a lab or a hospital. And those are some of the policy things that we can talk about. But for the most part, we just have to do a better job of redefining partnership. And the biggest, the biggest mindset shift we've really tried to embark on with our employer led groups is seeing that their participation is not just a a gratis a a pro bono, almost like a um, goodwill, if you will, but really it's about the investment in their own future workforce. So they have to know what their future workforce, what they want from them, and they have to help us build into that. It makes a whole lot more sense for students. You remember the question that we used to ask our teachers, like, why do I need to know this? Well, the teacher may not be able to answer that question because guess what? The teacher went to school, then they graduated from high school and they went to more school to turn around and come back and be in school again. Like we still eat on a bell schedule So the people who can answer that question, why will I need to know this, are actually the employers and the people who work for those industries.
1: Really well said. Let's do talk policy. What in Ohio could help you continue the progress you're making? What would you like to see? And and what can other states learn
2: from what's happening in Ohio? Yeah, I actually believe that Ohio has really great policy when it comes to career connectedness and business advisory councils being part of our scope and sequence of a school district. I really think that we have some leniency when it comes to who can teach. We can actually pull professionals out of industry, and as long as they teach 12 hours or less a week, we can actually license them to teach without a whole lot of hoops to jump through. Now, there's certainly things we can do better. For instance, all of the policy and practices that Ohio has in play They're typically seen in isolation. They were put in place because we needed A, when really we need to string those letters together. If you put A, B, and C together, think of the infrastructure and the impact that one can make in a district. And so that's where I think Ohio needs to move toward. And then federal policy, I I think we just need to relook about who gets CTE dollars. Very often we have CTE high quality. I mean, in Ohio, man, high quality CTE programming in CTE facilities, career centers, career tech centers. And they do a good job of putting satellite programs in our traditional high schools. But we need to rethink what that high school actually looks like, that traditional high school looks like, and what resources they could actually receive through Perkins or, or other modalities of funding if we change what traditional high schools could look like. Again, more about the for, not the or. It's not traditional high school or career tech high school. It's what. What are we going to school for, and then how do we get there?
1: Really great point. I feel like the pandemic has shown us that silos don't work, and, <laughs> and, and <laughs> with more urgency than even before. Shannon, thanks so much for sharing your time and expertise with us.
2: Absolutely, and thank you for having me.
1: Happy to. Coming up next is Michael Bastin. Being able to see the path forward, that's tough for college students at any time. It was tough before the pandemic. Now, wow, so much uncertainty in this job market, so much change. How can we do a better job of helping students develop that career identity so they can be nimble and and be confident as they step into that job market?
3: We very, very often have not spent enough time on the purpose development. You know, identity development is really purpose. How do you start by putting purpose first? How do you ensure that we understand what folks believe that they're good at, what opportunities exist in the marketplace? How are we making sure that the gap between what the country needs and the skills that people need to actually build the lives that they deserve, how are we making sure that that gap is closed? And so from my perspective, I think it's very important for us to be thinking about the bridges that we build between K to 12 and the four-year space. How do we use, for example, CTE education in the continuum so that we can ensure that those career and technical educational opportunities that might start as exploration in the high school continues to be nurtured and developed at the community college and the four-year institution and beyond. Our country needs folks with lots of skills. And so this is a time like never before for skillification, the need for helping people understand how their educational experience will lead them to meaningful skills that will ultimately give them gainful employment so that they can have the lives that they deserve. And it is a critical moment in our country because we know that there is a demographic drought in front of us. We know that the low birth rates, we know that the high retirement rates, we know that folks opting into the convenience economy, so they're working these part-time gigs versus full-time employment, all of that is going to continue to impact the viability of our community and the viability of those who are participating in these economic experiences. So we've got to be much more clear of how we partner how we build the infrastructure to actually help people realize the full range of opportunities that exist now in the marketplace. Absolutely. And, you know, as you talk, I was thinking
1: about elite, very well-resourced liberal arts colleges. They can do a lot of this. They do do a lot of this. Obviously, every student deserves the same sort of career exploration How much can you do in a community college sector that's buffeted by resource challenges? I mean, how optimistic are you that you can get there with students who need help now?
3: Well, it really is partly the responsibility, I believe, of our federal government and state agencies to actually help us to build the opportunities. So the colleges themselves alone will not be able to do it. But the Department of Labor, the Department of Education, the different entities that actually have the resources and the infrastructure can help us build the bridges? How are we going to make it something that the businesses in our country actually see as an advantage for them to be able to be successful? How can we build the bridges of private-public partnerships and tax incentivizations? All the kinds of Policies that we can engage in to ensure that we're building the workforce for the future right now because we are looking at the numbers and we know what's in front of us. That's going to be critical now that we have to be very intentional about the different disparate offices of our federal and state governments working in alignment at the local level so that we can actually begin to bridge some of these gaps.
1: 100%. Speaking about coordination. This is a challenge that you've been working on for a long time. We all have getting K-12 and higher ed and employers to be better coordinated. Where are things right now in this crazy time? Uh, Obviously, a lot of urgency to do better, but how can we?
3: I think it is getting better. Uh, I know for myself at Rockland Community College, we are working With our local superintendents, and we're doing career exploration courses within the high schools where the high school students are going to get college credits so that they can start the career exploration earlier. So that ultimately, as they transition into higher levels of education, they're going to get credit where credit is due. They're actually going to be engaged earlier in their journey to really see themselves as learners and earners. You know, our pre-tech programs that are happening all over the country that actually bring the IBMs with students that would normally be dropping out of high school to partner with the colleges so that there's this seamless integration of STEM opportunities in fields where there's growth and economic opportunity. We've got to replicate it, though, beyond STEM. We've got to replicate it in other areas. You know, I want to see PTECH type of programs in most majors all across this country for uh, the K-12 space with the community colleges and other sectors. So it is about intentionality. In 2022, if we are going to be successful, it is because we were intentional about partnering, intentional about collaboration, intentional about making sure that the path is clear and the opportunities are present and we meet the realities of the moment. Great points. I'm really glad you brought up. P-TECH, I feel like that's a, an approach that just
1: doesn't get enough attention. Uh, President Baston, happy 22 to you. Thanks so much for sharing your passion and your expertise with us today. Paul, oh, great to see you. Happy to you. The next interview is Luke Ryan, so please stay tuned. Can you give us a sense of the pathways for CTE in the state of Delaware and what you're working toward going forward?
4: Sure. I think the overarching theme is economic mobility. So it's just recognizing that we have an opportunity to think very differently about our K-12 system and our higher education system and the blurring of the line between those two institutional models. And that we, as a group of policymakers and practitioners, really have the ability to create a system that's driven by young people that truly allows them to access the labor market in a different way. What's truly, I think, unique about Perkins and CTE is that it is a piece of federal policy that's intentionally designed to blur secondary K-12 and our post-secondary systems. I think states can take that and run with that. So an example I'll use in Delaware is just this past session, we passed four bills that expanded the state scholarship program or state promise program to include up to 10 semesters at our community college system and up to four semesters at Delaware State University, which is an HBCU. We also passed two bills that provide career scholarships for youth and adult learners, those both exiting our K-12 system and adults who are incumbent workers. I think these types of investments in high return CTE programs will yield the type of economic returns that states want.
1: In terms of interventions or policies at the state or federal level that, that could make a difference, what would you like to see?
4: We need to make sure that we are all focused on the same outcome, which is economic mobility for all Americans. So I think in Perkins specifically, there are a couple of places where that could uh, come to light. So the first is, you know, Perkins is one of the few federal programs that has a measure of student equity. And I think we have the ability to not only do that metric justice within the implementation of Perkins, but also extend that metric into to not just focus on uh, gender, but also to include things like race and ethnicity, as well as the student's ability or socioeconomic status. So I think we have the ability to move beyond the current framework and accountability model to truly position equity at the core of our work. I think that data and impact are two things that we don't go far enough in terms of both measuring and in terms of kind of walking the talk. One example that I'll use is the overarching metric that's used to describe education and workforce programs is often student placement. So that's placement into a higher level of education or that's placement into a job. And there are often different points of placement or uh, points in time where we measure placement. So it's one day, 30 days, 90 days, six months, a year, those types of things. But to me, I don't think placement is enough. So placement in a job is not enough. Placement in a job at a living wage is enough. Placement into higher levels of education along an articulated career path So that is enough. So I think we have the ability to both deepen and extend our accountability models and then produce data systems that help to inform the student journey.
1: So I think it goes without saying that as a society, we're not there in terms of providing the necessary information to young people to make these critical decisions about their pathways to careers. What can be done to help a state like Delaware? get that information out in a way that can be consumed from a federal policy standpoint to industry registries? I mean, what, do you, what would you like to see? What's in development that might help?
4: At the federal level, I think the big thing is we need big actors to take on big responsibilities. A state like Delaware or states in general are not going to be able to solve the articulation of things like industry credentials to wages. So what credentials carry the greatest wage benefit or the greatest return on investment? Credential data also isn't captured universally across states. So I think the big thing here would be kind of the expansion of an organization like a National Student Clearinghouse into industry-recognized credentials and making sure that states have access and individuals and consumers have access to robust information around industry credentials where they exist, in what industry, what return do they have in terms of the individual's time or investment. In terms of state policy, I think states play a huge role in shaping our education to employment system. They're also positioned to have a lot of influence around how federal policies and state policies kind of marry together. So in a state like Delaware, our greatest strategy is the ability to partner. So we can think about the person who is on the other end of the receipt of a service. And we're able to devise systems that are really informed by the end user and really take into account community voice. And I think similarly positioned states have given themselves the permission and authority to think differently and to act differently. But it's, you know, it's my hope that states continue to push and continue to innovate, particularly in this
1: space. Well, that's a great note to end on. Here's to hoping that momentum continues this year. And uh, Luke, thanks so much for sharing your time and expertise with us. Oh, thank you. All right. Now we'll turn to Carly Schiffner. Obviously, we've heard a lot about the need for more development of both pathways to colleges and careers. Not often in tandem. I feel like the debate often breaks down of alternatives, diverging pathways. But I, I gather that's not really the experience that you've had in Washington.
5: In Washington State, between the community colleges, there are the you know our K twelve partners and our business industry partners, as well as our four year university partners. And the community and technical colleges really are the glue, if you will, in our system that have successfully bridged career and college options, not as an or, but as an and. And so I feel like we here in Washington State have worked to really strengthen partnerships to create a discoverable and well-known pipeline that leads to many options for students in our state.
1: The beginning of this pipeline, how early do you need to start? And can you give us a sense of what it looks like? for the very beginning how those options first start to surface so that students can see everything from a short-term certificate up to a bachelor's or beyond
5: great question i think we are here in washington state working on creating that awareness much earlier than high school and so we're working to focus on our engagement with middle school age students and we have started a program in washington State. In 2017, under the leadership of Governor Jay Inslee, created Career Connect Washington. And Career Connect Washington was really the idea really the concept of creating awareness and hands-on opportunities for students starting as early as middle school to get an understanding and to get awareness about what career options are possible here in Washington State and beyond. And so, Career Connect Washington has really, it's an umbrella for a number of programs that expose junior high and high school students to career options through varying levels of engagement. And so the part that, that intersects predominantly with community and technical colleges is the career launch program. So college and high school dual credit programs can be endorsed as career launch if they involve a paid work experience. And if the program leads to earning college credits or credential like a certificate or an associate degree. So, our college programs that have been endorsed, there's I think over gosh, we're over 80 now of career launch endorsed programs in the state. They are only endorsed if they have that guarantee by industry of a paid work experience for our students. And so we bring together business, industry, and labor partners to be part of that approval process for the endorsement piece of career launch programming, because we want to make sure that all aspects, whether it be higher ed, whether it be K-12, or whether it be business and labor, are. In, we want to make sure that everyone is involved with the development and the education of our students.
1: So I'm thinking with the industry involvement early, you're able to give students a realistic sense of what's possible. I mean, I know that particularly in the pandemic, it's hard to know what's possible career-wise for anybody. Things are changing so fast. There's so much flux in the system, but a lot of states have struggled to communicate what really CTE looks like in today's world, I think uh, those kind of mistaken impressions of it being dirty jobs, low paying jobs. (laughs) Have you been able to make some headway in that kind of career exploration and education about the jobs themselves?
5: Absolutely, I think it's definitely had a positive impact on our students who have been involved in our career launch program, especially our first generation students. Many of our first generation students are coming to college without a college-going background, without a college-going culture in their homes. And so when they come to us, they really might have heard from friends or have seen a few examples of careers or what's possible. But once they get into a career launch program, there is, you know, they're seeing and experiencing several additional career pathway possibilities. And so a student um, that I recently met with who was out of Um, the Tri-Cities, had initially gone to Columbia Basin College to work on an ag science degree. And she found a whole different pathway through her career launch endorsed program experience and is now really narrowing in on food science in a different way. And so she is an example of when we've talked to her and have had interviews with her, she has said, oh, my goodness, I had no idea (laughs) that, you know, there were all of these other options that I could do in the field of agriculture. And so agriculture isn't just, you know, as you mentioned a dirty job, but it is not just about being in the field that there's so much science behind it and so much business behind it. And she just didn't have that understanding until she involved herself with, or got involved with a career launch endorsed program. So I think it is making a difference. It is also providing examples of students who are getting into the program we're also reaching back and saying, hey, sisters, brothers, other folks, friends that are not in college, here's some options and here's what I'm doing. And so it's a real recruitment tool. It's a real magnet for other students to to become involved with a Crew Launch Endorsed program that will allow them to think differently about their future and about how to pursue college and how to pursue a career.
1: For the policy folks listening, What are some of the key principles you'd like to see at the federal or state level to help really scale up what's working well?
5: I think if there was a magic wand moment, I would really recommend statewide approaches to career and technical education alignment. So graduation requirements are different throughout our state in Washington. And so how do we incorporate a statewide systematic approach to incorporating career and technical education, So it is aligned with a graduation pathway and is considered equal to. So I really think some thinking on a statewide approach to alignment would be helpful. I also think furthering investments into opportunities, like as we mentioned with Career Connect Washington, one of the things that we have found is that we really need investments in equipment, uh, both at the K-12 and the higher education sectors. And we need that investment in equipment and in wraparound services. So our students have the latest hands-on experiences with the technology that they'll be embracing in their career paths. But also, so we have them feel that they don't need to step out. So the services that we can support them, whether it be food or housing, we need to be thinking about how we can do that. So they aren't having to step out and they don't have to continue to swirl in between or choose, I should say, between um, a college or a career or just putting food on the table.
1: Well, Carly, thanks for talking this through. For folks who don't know, Washington really is ahead of the pack in this work, I know. So we'll be watching what comes next as we all move into this pandemic adjacent era. But I appreciate your time today.
5: Thank you so much, Paul. It was a joy and I enjoyed our conversation.
1: Thanks for sticking with us. Now that we've heard from four folks around the country, we're going to chat with our experts from JFF to help make sense of the important points we heard. I'm here speaking virtually with Charlotte and Crystal to help us make sense of what we heard. A really fascinating interviews about a pivotal moment. I think, and I think we all can agree, for career education in this country, a lot to digest. Let's start with Charlotte with what are some of the key takeaways you heard.
0: Thanks,
6: Paul. So, you know, I think one thing I heard was this concern about making sure that we're able to move past some of the ways in which CTE has historically been siloed, both in thinking about the siloing of CTE within Particular institutions. So within high schools, within colleges, CTE is very often not as fully integrated as we'd hope with some of the core academics. And then, of course, they're siloing, you know, from one system to another as well. So, you know, high school CTE programs are not always fully aligned with with those at the post secondary level. And I think something, one reflection I'd add there is. I think that that's something that has been encouraged in some ways by the way federal policy and funding flows to CTE have historically been structured. So if we think about Perkins, which provides both federal guidance and funding for CTE across the country, there's a split in Perkins funding. Some goes to secondary and some goes to post-secondary. But why couldn't we instead create a pot of federal money that states and locals can draw down in order to support and foster partnerships across systems.
1: Thanks, Charlotte. And yes, the, the pandemic has definitely shown the problems and the, the extent to which we have siloed systems. I'm guessing we'll return to that in a second. But Crystal, how about you? What were some of the things that really jumped out at you in this discussion?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, along those same lines, in order to really deconstruct these existing silos of CTE that Charlotte mentioned and the policies and practices set in place that perpetuates this behavior, you know, I believe it is necessary to really address and resolve this long-standing false dichotomy, right, between college and career. As we heard from our practitioners, you know, it shouldn't be an or, but instead more to, more of a focus on what students are going for and how we can guide their pathway more purposefully and intentionally to ensure that they are equipped with the resources and tools that would lead them to advance education and high wage career fields. Right now, there's this alarming number of today's youth, specifically populations who have been historically underserved and marginalized in the economy who are disengaged who are questioning where they see themselves. And I think, you know, from what I heard from the practitioners now more than ever is the time to really take action on this matter and get it moving.
1: 100%, I feel like I'm hearing more than ever the need to to really work with students early on career exploration and discovery. So, So Crystal, from a policy standpoint, let's stick with you for a minute. How do we get there? Anything you heard, any ideas you want to really surface from the interviews where policymakers can make a difference here?
0: Yeah, definitely. One key takeaway that I got that constantly came up is this idea of partnerships, right? To really kind of erase these boundaries between high school, college, and career, there's really this need to like bur the lines. We need strong partnerships between secondary, between post-secondary, as well as with policymakers. And they cannot, these sectors cannot do it alone. They have to work together. And I believe, That's why it was really important for the JFF team, right, to just convene this group of leading practitioners in the K-12 space as well as post-secondary education space to co-develop these federal and state policy recs really focused on the role that CTE can play in that early exposure that you mentioned, Paul, to prepare all youth for um, successful and meaningful careers. With that being said, you know, just reflecting on that conversation with these practitioners, they did kind of come up with these five promising approaches that I believe were was raised in these conversations, specifically focused on, right? And I'll I'll you know read down like kind of the five, just one, just being really clear on just providing adequate resources to ensure that we are offering high quality CTE for all learners, right, so that they all have access, Um, just ensuring that every learner feels supported um, in developing their career identity and purpose identity development through that career exposure, through that counseling and having critical support, being very intentional with dual enrollment experiences, and then also ensuring that, you know, we are providing every student with just as well as dual enrollment, but high quality work-based learning experiences in their academic coursework. And then most of all, just highlighting this idea about strong partnerships, really being intentional about building this cross-sector data and accountability structures to ensure that our students are, are built up for success and advancement. And so those are some key highlights, I would say.
1: Thanks for that. Let's turn to Charlotte. We're in a, a bit of a pause, I, I guess you could say, uh, in federal policy right now. Lots of things happening at the state level. How can those policies help knock down silos?
6: Sure. So, I you know, I I really agree with uh, some of Crystal's points about building partnerships. And I think something that often gets overlooked as as we think about policy is that it is not reasonable or realistic. I would suggest to expect partnerships to take hold at a regional or local level when those same kinds of cross-sector partnerships aren't being reflected by federal and state agencies. So as we're thinking about some of these policy questions, I would really encourage as a first step agencies to work in tandem with one another to set these policies. So how can the U.S. Departments of Education and Labor more fully collaborate to support high-quality CTE? And then at the state level, similarly, how can state education agencies and higher education systems and workforce systems, too, all really come together to set a vision for CTE and provide a model for collaboration? that's just one piece of this and then i think as we think about those different kind of levers that crystal was talking about there's an opportunity embedded in each of them to think about bringing systems together we see a real need for better career advising and career navigation supports for students you know as as we're preparing them for careers we want to ensure that they fully understand their options and There, there's, for example, a real opportunity to create more shared approaches to advising that bridge secondary and post-secondary. That could look like embedding college counselors in high schools. It could look like secondary and post-secondary institutions coming together to develop advising frameworks and continua that cross secondary and post-secondary. And there are tons of opportunities to incentivize and support that kind of work in policy. And one last piece of this that I think we haven't fully hit on as we think about collaboration is the role that intermediaries can play in supporting and sustaining strong partnerships. And a real challenge as we think about those intermediaries, which are really you know organizations that are positioned to work across systems is that because by their design they exist outside of systems they also don't have access to a lot of the funding flows that exist within systems so i think a really critical opportunity as as we think about policy is to find ways to better support intermediaries, whether that's through opening up eligibility for existing funding or creating new funding streams to support intermediaries and the important work they do.
1: So you've laid out some of the opportunities we have. The urgency is there, obviously. You've got a generation of young people who have really suffered during the pandemic. How can we be optimistic looking forward at this year? It's an important year. And let's start with Charlotte.
6: Yeah. So. I am really optimistic, I think, looking ahead. I think that part of what the pandemic has done is highlight the need for more innovation and new ways of doing things. What we've seen is that the pandemic has really laid bare the ways in which systems were failing lots of students across the country. So CTE, I think, and as I've suggested, I think in a couple of things I've said, has been sort of constrained in terms of innovation by kind of bureaucratic structures, by formula funding, and so on. And that's made it hard for the kinds of visionary leaders like those we've heard from today to really seed innovation in CTE. But I think that's changing. And it's changing both at a policy level, but also in terms of the appetite for innovation in, you know, CTE programs across the country. So, as as one example of that, uh, JFF recently published a paper about what we like to call the big blur. And the big blur is this really kind of. A vision for a new model and new systems that are serving 16 to 20 year olds better than the fragmented mix of systems and programs we have now. The Big Blur is intended to really erase the arbitrary dividing lines between and across high schools, colleges, and career preparation programs to create a new ecosystem with structures that aren't either high schools or community colleges, but really new kinds of institutions. So clearly, that's something that um, is, is pushing the boundaries in a lot of ways as an idea. And we've seen a really positive response to this idea As we've spoken with folks across the country. So I offer that just as an example of the ways in which I think we're seeing an increased kind of determination to find new ways of doing things and to build innovative systems that are serving students better.
1: Well, we'll leave it there, Charlotte. Crystal, appreciate you helping us make sense of this important discussion.
0: Thanks, Paul.
6: Thank you. Great to talk to you.